0: So let's go, Blue Jays. Home game opener is today, and there is a considerable frison in our city, whether or not you're going to the game, because people are going to watch the game. They're going to go to bars and pubs. Some of them are going to head down to the newly renovated Rogers Center, which incidentally is only about 40% through the renovations they're going to do. Scott Mitchell from TSN joins us to set us up for tonight's game. Scott, good to have you. Good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm okay. So, they've been on an extended road run as the renovations were being completed. So what have you seen in the first 10 games?
1: Yeah, interesting uh, little start to the season. Obviously, being on the road for, for 10 games isn't an ideal situation for, for really any ball club. And, um, you know, I think six and four, you know, talking to John Schneider coming off this road trip is, you know, they'll take that. I think we, when you look at how they played, obviously, this team this team can hit. They, they simply raked on this road trip, Matt Chapman, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette you know everybody's familiar with those names and and they they're looking like MVP candidates early in this season and you know if you watch this baseball team everyone's going to have questions about the starting pitching and you know maybe not tonight with Alec Manoa on the hill for for the home opener but uh you know, they've they've definitely been outscoring teams rather than outpitching them. So it's kind of what we've seen with this club over the last couple of years. And, you know, anytime you go into two playoff cities in St. Louis and, you know, Anaheim with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and come back two games over 500 uh you got to be pretty happy but uh obviously the Tampa Bay Rays have come in here this weekend they're kind of running away with the division right now so they're playing some some really quality baseball and you know we've seen this story for 20 years in this city the AL East is a very very tough division to get through and you know, obviously this team is, uh, you know, coming into this year with high expectations. And, you know, the key with April is just don't bury yourself. You can't win the division in April, but you can definitely kind of put yourself behind the eight ball and lose it. So obviously this team's, you know, happy to be home with their head above water. And, you know, in front of the home fans with, uh, as you said, some of those renovations that, uh, you know, look pretty uh, pretty spiffy in there. And I think, uh, you know, fans are really going to enjoy it because uh, the you know, the the idea was to turn it from a stadium to a ballpark, and I think they uh, I think they nailed it. Seeing it personally.
0: Okay, well, give us a bit of an account of that, because I've only been able to watch through video, but it's it, it just looks better. But I don't know what it looks like through the eyes of a baseball fan.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, going to all these these ballparks over the years, you definitely see a different experience that you used to see, obviously, 30 years ago when when Skydome was built. And, you know, at the time, revolutionary, state-of-the-art, you know, two-world series, it's done its job, but it definitely needed uh, an update. And, you know, you go to these ballparks, and there's a different experience. There's a different engagement with fans, and and you're going to see that with, uh, you know, the new bullpens, the new raised bullpens. And, you know, it's about uh, in right field, so 10 feet away from a bar where you can order a shot and 10 feet away from where you can uh, yell at the opposing relievers. So Toronto needs to behave itself, but uh, the uh, the atmosphere in there will be a, a much more baseball-type atmosphere. And, look, I mean, the, the patio is on the 500 level. Once, the you know, the summer arrives and, and the roof uh, gets dropped out there, um, it's going to be an experience. And I'm going to be a little envious. I'm going to be sitting in the press box, you know, Um, you know, looking up there at people standing in the sun, having drinks and and talking. And that's what the baseball experience is. And obviously the baseball experience on the field is is totally different this year too, with the the pitch clock and then things like that. I'm sure we'll get into that, but, you know, just a totally different experience in the ballpark, more things to do, more things uh, for families and kids to do more things for young adults to do and, you know, in addition to the baseball game going on and and that's why it's so different than any other sport. Uh, You know, you kind of watch a few pitches, hang with your friends and I think the Blue Jays have done a really good job of of providing a a different experience and one that, you know, is around Major League Baseball in 29 other cities.
0: Okay, one last question. I wanted to touch on something you just referenced, which is the countdown clock. Um, Have we worked the kinks out of that?
1: Well, look, I haven't think I haven't thought there's been kinks. I've seen this in the minor leagues now for a few years, so you know people uh, in baseball are, are pretty used to this, and it's a different experience. And look, I, I think pace of play was a huge issue um, for this sport in terms of drawing new fans, in terms of uh, kind of latching new fans on because. You know, even for me, the pace at times—three hours and a half games, three hour forty-five minute games—way uh, too much dead time. I, I've been really impressed with the the pace of play and the amount of action. When you combine that with the the banning of the shift, uh, you see more balls in play. You're seeing more offense. Uh, you're seeing, you know, two hour and forty-five minute games now, which. You know, to me, to bring a family out on a Tuesday, Wednesday night, uh, sit in the ballpark until 10 p.m., I think that's very manageable. 11 p.m., you know, it starts getting a a little dicey, and this is what baseball kind of looked at with, you know, all of these changes. How do you draw fans? How do you get more action and uh, excitement and athleticism into the game? And, look, anyone who watched this game in the 1970s is going to be reminded of that. The pace is quicker. There's no dead time. And look, I think it's a better product overall. Uh, does it take, does it take some getting used to for you know a, a fan that's watched this sport for the last 20 years and, and really enjoys that slow pace and, and has that type of time and wants to you know get up and get some concessions? Um, it's going to be a little different, but to me this is uh, you know what this sport needed and to me the product on the field is, is better than anything I've seen in the, in the last half decade or so.
0: Thanks a lot for this, Scott. Cheers! Enjoy opening day, Scott Mitchell from TSN. And yeah, there have been efforts to speed up all kinds of sports. It's more of a joke, but there's actually something called speed golf. And if you, well, not if 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 you've seen it, but if you haven't, do yourself a favor and Google for some video. But you basically hit the ball and you run to your ball. There is no etiquette of waiting for other players. You just play it as fast as you possibly can. You don't worry about the setup. You whack the ball. You don't worry too much about the putt. You can multi-putt it. And I forget the times, but I think like somebody somebody played, normally it would take you about 2 hours 15, 2 hours 30 to play 9 holes. And somebody can play that in like 40 minutes. So I heard this amazing conversation last week, and it was basically a story as told by a storyteller. Her name is Amy McKay, and she is a Nova Scotia novelist. So she and her husband are in an antique store, and she comes across one of those seals that you've probably seen lawyers and some business people use. You know, they have a disc in them, and you push down on the lever, and it marks a paper document. She looks closely, and it says, I'm Alone, Inc. So she buys it, takes it home, decides to find out if there's any history to I'm Alone, Inc. What she finds out is it was a company. It was incorporated in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, and it was a front for the mobsters who ran liquor on the Atlantic during Prohibition, and the name of the company was the name of the boat. It's called I'm Alone, So the schooner, during Prohibition, 1920s, would run Scotch, rye, rum, and assorted champagnes and liqueurs from Canada through international waters. And then they'd wait in international waters, and boats would come out from the American East Coast, and sometimes the South, and they'd hand over all the crates so they could stay out of trouble. Coast Guard couldn't touch them. Except one day, the Coast Guard decided they were in American waters, and they gave chase And the people on the I'm Alone figured if we get to international waters, they got to leave us alone. The commander of the Coast Guard ship said, no, there's a rule. If I've caught you in our waters, I can chase you into international waters and I can still place you after under arrest. So the Coast Guard ship eventually pulls up next to the I'm Alone. And the commander says, I'm coming aboard. And the captain of the I'm Alone says, you most certainly are not. So that's when they decided they would just start firing guns and shelling the boat. The boat goes down. One person drowns. Eight others are rescued. The crew is locked up in a New Orleans jail. But the thing is, the boat's been lost. It was in international waters. So the courts were asked to rule on whether or not it was a justifiable seizure, and these were justifiable arrests. Canada's parliament even rose to the occasion and denounced the courts and called on the U.S. government to set the men free. They were ultimately set free. Arbitration eventually resulted in a settlement worth $1 million today for the sunken boat. And The story of the Amalon is well known in naval circles, but the discovery of that one object in an antique store by Amy McKay now breathing new life into an incredible tale of smuggling and the seas.